everyone. Before we get started, we wanted to let you know about our venue consulting. We have broken up our offerings into four distinct needs, design, sales and client experience, marketing, and those all-important SOPs. You can take advantage of one or all of these tricky spots for your venue. If you want to learn more and get a few more details, head on over to hustleandgather.com to see how we can work together and reach your venue goals. All right, let's get to today's show. All right, so we finished all of our guests for 2022. Wahoo, it was a great year. It has been a good year. Lots of great conversations, mm-hmm. great thoughts, mm-hmm. lots of things to take into 2023. Yes. But we're not leaving you hanging. No. So we have a few more weeks left of this year, and we are going to highlight three podcasts that we have been a guest on in these next three weeks. So this week, we're sharing an episode of She Who Dares with Brandy Gar, where we talk about the hustle and grit it took to build our business. Hey there, podcast friends. Welcome back to another episode of the She Who Dares podcast. I'm your host, Brandi Gar, and you guys, today we have two guests in the studio. That's right. I have Courtney and Dana, the owners and creators of Hustle and Gather in the studio. And today's episode is really, really inspirational. I know if you're driving or you're on a walk and you're just trying to clear your head, you're thinking, you know, gosh, business can sometimes be so hard. I am really excited for you to hear this episode. I did not know Courtney and Dana's story, their backstory prior to them being on the podcast. And I am completely in awe of the grit and determination that they had to have to build their business and to know where they were going and really just focus on, no, we're going to do this whether it's hard or not. And so sometimes that's just how business is, right? And so if you're feeling in that spot, if you're like, gosh, I don't even know if this is worth it. You guys, this is the episode for you. Not only do we get to hear this inspirational story of how they built their business, but we're also talking all about how they built their team and why they built their team and kind of how it was scary in the beginning, but what it's done for them. And so I just know that you're going to absolutely love this episode and that you're going to want to follow along their journey as well and follow them over on Instagram. So you guys, if you love this episode, make sure you take a quick screenshot and tag both Courtney and Dana, Hustle and Gather, and myself over on Instagram so that we can know that you loved it. All right, let's get into the episode. Here we go. You guys, my guest today, I have two guests today. It's going to be a fun show because I am super excited to get to chat with Courtney and Dana from Hustle and Gather. They are the brains behind Hustle and Gather, the sisters behind this brand, and I'm really, really excited to get to chat with them today. So ladies, thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. We're so excited to be here. We're excited about it. (laughs) (laughs) This will be good. Okay, so ladies, can you introduce our listeners to both of you, and then kind of give us your backstory. Like, don't give us the elevator pitch, you know, tell us the, tell us kind of all the things and how you got here. Cause I know you've been in the industry for a long time, right? Yeah. Yes. I've been in industry for about 16 years. Yeah. Yeah. We started, um, when we were actually looking for a wedding venue for Dana to get married at, she was young. I mean, I was a young bride too. I always put that caveat in there, but we were both young. (laughs) So you have all these people you invite to your wedding when you're like 22, you know, not that you talk to half of them now, but at (laughs) the time we needed a space to house like 175 people. Mm -hmm. And Dana didn't want to get married in a hotel room and she didn't want to get married in a tent in the backyard. So it left very few venue choices. And so when we were kind of in the middle of all of that, we were like, you know, it'd be fun is opening up a venue. That's kind of that 
kind of house feel, but it's actually a venue. And we decided at that point that we knew nothing about wedding planning or venues besides our own limited experience. So we thought that we would become wedding planners to like as a way of market research. Yeah. To, like, and figure I, out a little more I have experience. to pause here and say like, I actually didn't take Courtney very seriously. Um, <laughs> it was my s- senior year of college. I knew I wanted to be a teacher since I was five. And so I just didn't think anything was going to deviate from that. And I just thought it was like one of those you know, random conversations at a Bear Rock Cafe, you know, that are no longer around. And, you know, just thought we were just kind of sh- shooting the sure. crap. Yeah. So then the next day, I remember I got a phone call from Courtney and our childhood friend Megan was getting married and she was like, Megan's getting married. And I called her and told her we we're going to plan her wedding so we could like start this dream. And I was like, oh, okay. So this is like really happening. We're really going to do this. And it just kind of went from there. Yeah. Yeah. So we event planned for a while and got our market research. And uh-huh. uh, it was after the recession. So it was like 2010, right. 2011. We'd made it through the Great Recession and had some money saved up. And we're like, you know what? Let's talk about this venue dream that we started with. And we started looking for land. And we went down a couple of rabbit trails, but eventually yeah. landed on where the Bradford is. Uh, everything was going for like a song at that time because right. everything was sitting on the market for years and years, if you remember the lending environment at that time. Right. Um, and so we were able to put a conditional contract down on the Bradford for a year. We were able to hold it for a year while we got through all the zoning, all the perk testing, all mm, the permitting before we even bought it. Yeah. Right. And they held it for us and it all worked out. And for we something up- ridiculous, like $300, I remember. It was something absolutely It was like a ridiculous insane. due diligence fee. Yes. It was nothing. It was nothing. Yeah. It was crazy. But- so it just all ended up kind of just working out like just perfectly. And- mm-hmm. Okay. So, okay. I don't know this part of your all story, which I, I will tell you, I tend to not do a lot of research on my guests because I'm like, I want to be as intrigued as my listeners. Like, I obviously know who you guys are and that you are very well qualified for this topic and I can't wait to get into our topic, but your backstory, I don't really know. So tell us a little bit more about this because I'm positive there's people that are intrigued. So did you build it from the ground up or was it there and you remodeled it? We built it from the ground up. So it was just eight acres of like basically turnip field. And we yeah. had found a picture that we liked. What? Uh, mm-hmm. Like, we're like, we want to look like this. We hired this. We traded. Uh, we traded. We traded. Our we planned services. Yeah. We, we planned our architect's a daughter's wedding for the drawings. Yeah. For the architectural yes. drawings. Yeah. yeah. No uh, way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, so we basically had no money. We were just trying yeah. to figure it out. And I think that's like what is uh, definitely a part of who we are and a part of our story is that we we did not get an inheritance. We didn't yeah. have family money. I mean, we built this thing literally with um, credit cards because we ran out of money halfway through it and, you know, cashed out 401ks, mm-hmm. which would not recommend um, not the best financial advice. But I mean, we <laughs> hobbled, we hobbled along. And and the hard part of our story too is that we, the Bradford didn't end up how we thought it was going to be because we just didn't have the financing for it. So I, I feel like the first four or five years of owning the Bradford, we just kept trying to put band-aids on things um, until we were finally able to get to a place where we could, uh, I guess, renovate it and add the ballroom and make it really what we really, really wanted it to be because we just, we, I, I guess the point is we didn't have this like Cinderella story where it was just 
you know, we're like, we have a dream right, that we're right. going to get all this financing. It's going to be perfect because nobody was lending money. Like we had to really backdoor everything to make it happen because yeah. everyone was so nervous to believe in businesses, especially a woman owned event planning business. They did not believe in what we could do. And so that took a lot to come back from and for us to trust ourselves and trust our vision and be able to turn the Bradford into what it is today, which is ultimately what we had envisioned it being. But it took a while to get there. Yeah. I mean, even just listening to your story and thinking, okay, so this was right after the recession. That's insane in itself because of lending. But I mean, you bought an eight acre turnip field and said, we're going to turn this into a wedding venue mm -hmm. and you were teachers, right? So yes. like, yeah. I, I mean, you can see, right? Where it's like, wow, I don't know if I would put my dollars there, but that's like, that's the best kind of grit, right? Mm -hmm. Because you only had, you had to just rely on yourself yes. to build it, which is so cool. I love this. this is so fun. Okay. So how long did it take you to finish building it? So long. It was like probably a year. a year yeah, from start to finish for the first phase. And then for like four years, we would close down from like December to February and we would do big Big additions. Projects. Like we added on the, the side concourses the first year. We finished the bridal suite one year. Yeah. We finished the groom suite another year. We put it, took up the temporary fence that we had and put in a big brick fence one year. Like we did these huge, like eighty to hundred thousand dollar investments every year into the Bradford. Right. And then once books were good, we yeah. were able to go for a loan and say like, hey, we want to add this ballroom. But it was actually really super helpful. Like yeah. I feel like everything kind of works out the way that it's supposed to work out. Because right. had we not lost our business loan in the beginning, we would have had two very small non-functional ballrooms. It would have been shaped like the U that we envisioned. And it is a U. It's just a U facing the other way right now. But it wouldn't have been as functional as it right. is right now. So it was nice to like live with it and figure yeah. out what we actually needed. And for us, it really came to a point where we were booking fine. Like yeah. we were booking okay. But what we were lacking was our summer and our winter months. And I remember looking at Courtney and saying, you know, we could ride this wave and it'll be fine. Like we'll 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 be okay. But if we can if we can increase and get five more months of bookings. And the way we need that is we needed heated and cooled space to fit the 150, 175 people. It'll pay off in spades. And, and we really had to see that in order to go under construction again and to take that very stressful leap of, you know, closing down for four months and losing income for four months and going back to the banks and going back to financing. And um, but for us, like we recognized that we had we had outgrown our business in a way like we were we were so plateaued we couldn't do anything else and we, we just weren't comfortable mm -hmm. with that like yeah. we we were ready to do bigger and better things and we knew that's what it what we had to do is we had to add a bigger space it was totally a game changer it I was mean, such it's a literally game changer. just paid off in spades yeah so. yeah oh my gosh okay so the year what was the year that the bradford opened the first time 2014. Mm -hmm. okay so you opened it in 2014 and then what year did you do the renovation so it was 2019 to 2020. Our We had our big opening party was slated for March 27th of 2020. And we all know what happened in March of 2020. And we, yeah. we were, oh my God. I mean, we had like, it was so, so, so scary. I mean, we were, we were stressed to finish anyways. Like we knew it was a tight timeline. Our contractor 
was like, I can do this. But I mean, everything had to go perfectly. The weather had to cooperate. I mean, everything had to be on time. And it was. And really. it was. It was, and it so was well. like one of those things where I feel like every other project we had done, it had always been to the wire. It always been so stressful. And I was like, is God shining down on us right yes. now? Because this seems so easy. And, and then, then COVID. <laughs> and then COVID hit. And we're sitting here and we're like, we just took out a million dollars. We took out a million dollar loan and we have lost all this income. And we, it was, it was so, so, so stressful. Really. I mean, every day was just trying to figure out how to get to the next week, how to maintain our employees. And, and so we decided like there were some things that we had, we had originally contracted out, like putting the terrace back or installing the artificial turf on the back or laying the sod in the backfield. And we just said like, we're going to do it. Like if we do this, I can keep my employees for three more months. And so we just buckled down and mm-hmm. made our own little quarantine group with our families and everyone pitched in and, yeah. you know, did the projects that we could do to help, help save some money. So it was it was uh, it ended up being wonderful because our loan was through SBA and they had a great program to help people with COVID and it and all ended up fine. But it was extremely touch and go for the first like six or seven months of COVID. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that is for sure. Uh, <laughs> that's a whole different level, right? You're supposed yeah. to open this whole new phase and it, it just and then COVID. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. gosh. OK, so this is. I love this, ladies, because I feel like it's helping us to just get to know, like so many of us have had to, you know, have setbacks and then figure out a new way to do it. And Mm -hmm. honestly, I think that we're better for it because you learn so much along the way instead of just being handed alone. Absolutely. Totally. So I love this part of your story. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. So tell me a little bit about how you created Hustle and Gather, because that's obviously separate from the Bradford kind of, I mean, it's still the two of you, right? So how, how did Hustle and Gather come into play? So Hustle and Gather was really just a passion project for a while for us. We both realized that we love our industry Mm -hmm. and we love our businesses, but more so we love small businesses Mm -hmm. and encouraging other people into success with their businesses. Like we became kind of like the go-to people in our industry and the triangle and whatnot. Uh, and we just loved those consultations and being able to help people. And I think that's where Hustle and Gather kind of came from. Yeah. I, our original vision for Hustle and Gather as any business has evolved, but like our original vision for Hustle and Gather was we really wanted to put on these really women empowered conferences where you had women who owned businesses and came together and just developed professionally and personally. And that was the original direction that we wanted to go in. And, and we, we did it. And we did it. We <laughs> it did a couple so conferences work. and we were like, as great as it was, this is a lot of work that we just didn't feel like this was the right. And we were, we were losing that one-on-one that we really loved with people too. And so we kind of shifted yeah. our what our vision for that is. So the same kind of concept is really encouraging you know, other businesses. We do have a heart for uh, women in business. This is when we decided to do the podcast and uh, really open it up to more like venue consulting and team training and really focusing on what makes us unique in our industry and in the triangle is our team. And also where we recognize that for us, because we are a partnership, we aren't solopreneurs, we felt like we could do it all, right? We felt like we could do everything and we didn't need a team. And realizing how many people have that mindset and how much having a team has served us to be so successful, like that really became kind of like our mission and our what we uh, hope to inspire other people to do. 
And also like a second to that is like kind of demystifying the entrepreneurship yeah. journey. Like right. we were both teachers. Right. We, you know, sold our houses, took our money from our mortgage and our credit worthiness from our mortgage and put it right. into the Bradford and building this space or whatnot. It was very just like grassroots, pull up right. your bootstraps kind of situation. And we want for everybody to feel inspired to make those big leaps and right. take those big jumps. It, you don't have to be well-funded. You don't have to have these investors. You don't have to come for money. Right. You don't have to even have this fully thought out plan sometimes. Right. You know, you can just have like a great idea and a lot of passion and belief and some tenacity and willingness to work hard and you can make something, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of hustle and gather in a, in a nutshell. Yeah. I love what you just said about, you know, you, you're a partnership. So you kind of were like, I mean, we can just do it all. There's two of us, you know? Mm-hmm. So what helped you make that mental shift for you guys from thinking we can do it all to really starting to understand a team would better serve you? That's a really good question. I think, I think there is a couple of aspects to it. Um, really also part of our story at the same time we were, we were having babies. (laughs) So for many years, (laughs) one of us was pregnant. And I think that there came a time where we, we recognized that our, our time with our family families is fleeting in terms of like, we have our kids for 18 years. Mm -hmm. And so there was definitely that, that pull of wanting to be home a little bit more, be a little more present, not to be so stressed out. But I think too, I really feel like we are pretty humble people. And so when we hit a wall, it was like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I can't do this. Like, this is out of my, my depth. And I'm, we have looked at this 10,000 ways and I feel like we need an outside perspective. And I think once we finally had that conversation saying like, yes, we feel like we know best. And there are certain things that we are the experts on hundred percent. But we really need to bring in somebody else to help like rethink some of these things because what we're doing, we're just running in circles and it's not growing the way we want it to grow. I think was our biggest push to hiring somebody. Yeah, I I think that that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, so many of us get into the industry either with a young child or no kids yet. And you have a different mentality when there's mm-hmm. nobody waiting for your attention, right? Mm-hmm. And then when you have little people staring at you, like, um, why are you so tired? Yeah. Why are you so stressed <laughs> out? Uh, it does make a big difference. Mm-hmm. And so I totally get that. And I think that that's so interesting. So what was your first hire? Do you remember? Yeah. yeah. So our first hire was actually an intern and this is at the Bradford. Uh-huh. She was really good. And Dana was like, I really want to hire this person for like 20 hours a week. It was a part-time thing. Yeah. She's like to take some of the Bradford lead management and kind of helping build out those systems at the Bradford. Because at this time, like Dana and I both had full loads of event planning. I mean, there were some years that we were doing like each 27, 28 weddings in addition to running the Bradford and like yeah. kind of building it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I remember the day, the first wedding of the Bradford, wow. I had a wedding offsite. At that point, we did flowers. We did all the flowers for that wedding. And I remember Dana having to stay for that event yeah, at the crazy. Bradford and run that one. And I, and we weren't ready. Like we literally weren't ready. We were like cleaning the floors and the windows until like 6am in the morning. Yeah. I had a baby who was five months old at that time. Yeah. And I remember I went home to nurse the baby. It was like five or six o'clock because I knew I had to get up, make flowers and go to this wedding. And I'd fallen asleep. And all I remember was Dana in the room. You've got to wake up. What are you doing? Like, we're not done yet. We're not ready. 
Uh, so it was just craziness, like sheer right. chaos oh when we opened the Bradford. And yeah, I remember being super hesitant because I was like, well, we're going to ask this person to work for us. Are mm-hmm. we going to be able to pay this person? Right. Because right? at that point we had all the Bradford bills yes. and we were still yes. finishing things up and we weren't really paying ourselves at all at right. that point. We were just kind of working to sure. support this thing. And Dana's like, I really think it's a great idea. It's going to you know, take some of the stress off and we'll be able to really focus on the Bradford. Like we've got to focus on making this investment pay off. And she was right. Like we hired her. It was amazing. That person still works for us, mm-hmm. not in the Bradford. She actually got married, moved to Philadelphia, came back, worked in the industry, hired her for the Bradford again. And now she actually works as one of our planners on C&D. Fun full circle story there. But it was just amazing at that point to be able to offload. Mm-hmm. It was the first time we ever experienced offloading some of the burden or the responsibility of this baby that you've been like putting all of your heart mm-hmm. and soul into. And it was amazing. It was. But what it allowed us to do is... so. You know, like we mentioned before, we were, you know, young parents and we, it's really hard, you know, after you've been, you have this business and you have a family and you're like, okay, I don't, I can't go to a networking event. Like I'm exhausted. Mm -hmm. I'm so tired. And I remember I looked at Courtney and I was like, people don't know that this is here. And this is not like, oh, if I don't have a wedding, no big deal. I don't have bills to pay. Like we have bills to pay. Like we have got to hustle the crap out of this. Like we should be in front of people. We should be bringing coffee. We should be visiting planners doing all these things. And I felt like there was not enough time in the day and hiring this person really allowed us to create a decent strategy mm-hmm. and to get our faces in front of people and say like, Hey, did you know the Bradford's here? Like, come check this out, you know, and, and like freed up some of that time to actually market it well and get to the point where it was not bleeding money and it was making money. Right. <laughs> yeah. A couple of things that you guys said that I know, I know there's someone listening that's like, Yes, this is me. Like I needed to hear somebody say this out loud is one that you, you didn't know if you had the money to pay Mm -hmm. this person. Like you said, like most of the time we're not paying ourselves at that point, but you realize that if you could free up some time, you could probably make more money, Mm -hmm. right? Because you could go be the face and you could get yourself out there. And I, I also love that you said that that's exactly what you did. Like you were like, okay, if we bring this person on, now we have time to go network and sell. It's not like you're going and just chilling on your couch because you have right. somebody. The The whole point is to go really make better use of your time in your zone of genius. So yes. this is so good. I know people listening are like, okay, I think I can do this. I think I can do this because it's scary. It is. It, it is. is it is. It scary. is so scary. But you're absolutely correct. I think that I think that is the misconception with entrepreneurs in general is that when you open a business, the expectation is that you are an expert in every single part of your business, and that just is not the truth. Like maybe you're a great seller, maybe you're a great organizer, maybe you are a wonderful visionary, but you can't do the day to day stuff. And I think when you hire that team, you you hire for your weaknesses. You hire where you are not things that you are not good at. And so they take that pressure off of you. And also they can do it more effectively. They can do it more efficiently. And it allows you to do the things that you do really, really, really well, which is, you know, normally selling and promoting your business. Right. Honestly, it's funny. I think that's a great point because actually just last night I was speaking with another entrepreneur and she was like, I'm just too much of a control freak. Like Mm -hmm. I am the best to do these things. And I'm like, no, you're not. Because (laughs) the only reason you think you're the 
best is because you you have to do it and you're right. getting it done. But someone else can do this piece better. I mm-hmm. promise you they can. Give them the tools and then let them flourish in it. Most of my team does their job better than I did it when I was doing it because you're doing 1,700 things yep. and they can focus on one. I always say that a good team is when I am the weakest link on the team, right? I always hire for my whole smarter people. Yeah. For smarter people, better people. And it's like an honor to be able to be their leader, you know, their boss. But it's amazing when you look out at these people that you've hired and you're like, wow, that person works for me. Mm -hmm. And you admire them, you know, and all of their, what they're bringing to the table. Exactly. You're like, thank you for choosing to work yes, with thank me. You. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so good. So good. Okay. Tell me a little bit about a top-down perspective. Sure. That was one of the things we've noticed while hiring. One, it can be addictive. Like you hire your first person, you want to hire your second person, you want to hire your third person because <laughs> it is very freeing. Yeah. Like not being, like our very second hire was an mm-hmm. office manager. Like the person that put in all of the like data entry and did all the invoicing Mm -hmm. and sent out client experience gifts, sent out client experience gifts, like all of the Mm -hmm. things that kind of like bogged us down probably wasn't worth Mm -hmm. our brain power. And it made us realize that while all these things are very crucial to business, it wasn't what we should be doing. And Mm -hmm. being in the kind of what I call like the muck and the mire of it all really prevented us from growing creatively Mm -hmm. and steering the ship, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're just down there rowing the ship can't see where it's going. Right. You know, so it allowed us to really kind of free up our mental space to be able to say, okay, this is the direction we should go. And this is the next thing that we should do. And I think it gives you clarity too. Like, I think that when you're stuck, like Courtney said, in the muck and the mire, it's really hard to see through that. And so when you're looking at something and you can say, okay, like I see my business is at a, is at a standstill, it's plateauing. And you're like, I know that to get to the next level, I need to do X. But if you're stuck in that muck and mire, the idea of doing one more thing and taking one elevated step is overwhelming to the point where you're like, you can talk yourself out of it. Like, well, it doesn't matter. I don't have time for it. I can't do it. It's not going to be worth it. You know, all those things. And you lose that top-down perspective of not what is it when you're in the middle of it, but what is what is your end goal? What is your vision? Not even just for 10 years, five years, but for that month, that week, that year, right? Like what is your goal and how can you get there? And the only way I feel like to do that is to start at the top and say, this is my goal. This is where I want to be. And you work backwards and you work, how do I, how can I get there? So how can I bridge that gap from where I am now from where I want to be? And when you're stuck in that middle, you cannot see the path forward. It is impossible because you're too overwhelmed and too literally stuck at what you're doing that you can't move past it. And like how many people work so hard at building a business that they end up resenting? Yes. You know what I mean? Like they're like, I don't want to walk into the office one more day. I don't want to talk to a single client. Like I don't want to send out another invoice, you know, and you have all these things. And I think to me, the goal of like building a business and being an entrepreneur is for that freedom, right? For it to be able to feed my life, but also be able to be free enough to live my life. Like Mm -hmm. I have three kids and a husband and a new puppy, you know, and I want to be able to interact with those things. I say that because I'm sitting here watching two of our employees run with this dog back and forth outside the window. That's what your employees can do if you have them, you know, so you want to be able to live your life, you know, and you don't want to resent what you've built. So I think sometimes 
looking at that list of like, what do I love? What am I good at? What do I want to offload? I think can be really freeing. And Mm -hmm. your goal, your goal can be different from year to year. Like one goal, your, your one year, your goal can be to make more personal money. One year, your goal could be Mm -hmm. to free up more time. And like you would structure your team differently based on those goals. Yeah, for sure. I I think it's so funny because really no one ever has started a business to say, I hope that I work a hundred hours a week yep. and I never see my family again. It's like no one, no one starts a business for that reason. Mm-hmm. And we, we have these elaborate dreams of like, I'm going to be my own boss. No one's going to tell me where to be. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to have my own flexible schedule. But in reality, we end up building businesses that can't run without us. So you're strapped to them 24 seven, no vacation time. And it's like, how is that better than working a nine to five that guarantees you a salary (laughs) in your bank account every week and you clock out? Like, I don't understand, (laughs) but it's what we end up building so often, always in the creative industry. We think, you know, we're the only ones that can do it and it all has to run on us. And it's like, no, that's just not how businesses are built. And you really have to think about it as a business and not just something that's built on you. And one of the things that you guys mentioned too is, I mean, do you want to be doing events or weddings until you're 75? No, I don't. <laughs> so what's your out plan? You know, right. if you don't have a team, how are you getting out? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I just find these things so interesting. But one of the things that we noticed that kind of helped me to focus on getting out of our day to day, and it took years before I realized how big of a problem it was, is that, you know, anytime we would have somebody leave or a team restructure, I would take on their role. Mm. And instead of hiring back out for it, I'd be like, oh, I would, I would have like a scarcity mentality. Mm -hmm. And so I would just take on their job. And then all of a sudden we'd realize like our sales were starting to significantly dip. Mm -hmm. This was before Mm -hmm. we had a sales manager and they would dip because I was overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. I had too many things going on. Mm -hmm. And so you guys really touched so well on this. It's like, you can't focus on growth. You can't focus on what you need to be doing when you're just in it, when Mm -hmm. you're in the day to day. And so what actually was disserving our business when I realized, wow, when I think I'm saving money by not rehiring that position, I'm costing us money in the long run. Yeah. So, you know, what is it? Penny wise, pound foolish. Right. (laughs) And I just think, yeah, don't, don't make silly decisions. I don't know that I said that right, but (laughs) so I love this. This is super, super helpful. Okay. So if there's somebody out there that's listening you guys Mm -hmm. and they're kind of where you were years ago and they're just like, I don't know. I just, I really don't think I can do it financially or I don't even know who my first person to hire is. Mm -hmm. Do you have any tips on what you would tell that person? Yeah. I mean, I would say to think outside the box, like it doesn't have to be a full-time person. Mm -hmm. Like you don't have to be responsible for Mm -hmm. um, somebody's sole income and provision. Like a lot of our best hires have been stay at home moms that whose kids are in school and they want to work, you know, nine to three. So I think you can be a little bit creative. I think another way, because sometimes management takes on its own, Mm -hmm. it's its own animal and it has its own pressures. And sometimes it can feel like more work when you're mismanaging Mm -hmm. an employee. So maybe like trying like an intern Mm -hmm. or something like that, like, or like a mentee or Mm -hmm. that type of situation to see how you like managing. Because I think part of the thing with hiring is making sure that your management style works with their work style. So 
y'all are moving forward and not fighting against each other. So I think it's important to kind of get that information down. Like what's my management style? How do I want this to look? Am I a, am I a micromanager? Like I'm going to lay out their schedule, mm-hmm. you know, 10 minute by 10 minute. And I want them to follow it to a T or am I like, here's my big overarching project. And I want for you to manage that. So it's off my mental plate, and I, but I'm not going to micromanage you, you know? So just kind of knowing what your management style is. And we've took, it's taken us years to figure that out, like how we want to manage and the type of employee we want to hire and who works well for us and who doesn't work well for us. Yeah. And I think that's fine. It is fine. I mean, you're going to make mistakes, certainly. And I think, you know, for us, like when we started consistently hiring well is when we started being honest with ourselves. And it was really hard because especially for me, I was like, oh, I want to be the cool boss. Like, I don't care if you come in late, whatever. But like, it actually really annoys me when people come in late. Like it burns me up. And so I, and I like to see their face. Like I like to see them in the office. And so it, I had to come to terms with like, this is my, this is my ideal employee where I can kind of dictate some of their office hours and then, and build that trust with them over time. And then when they're like, oh, I want to work from home, it's not going to, you know, put a bad taste in my mouth. And so I think really being honest with who you are, even if it's not who you want to be, is really important because it is, it's just who you can't change who you are. Like you just can't change what you find valuable. And I find time very valuable because I find my time extremely valuable. So when I'm hiring somebody mm-hmm. and I'm paying you for your time, I want that time to be valued uh, as the same, if that makes sense. Um, and I think for us too, like a lot of it was also us like taking the time to write out exactly like, what do we do every day? Like, what do I, and this wasn't just like, oh, we're going to have an hour session of writing this out. This was like weeks of us jot down everything you do for two weeks. And then let's look at what are some things that if you look at it and you're like, I would be a happier person, I would be a more successful person, I'd be a more efficient person if I didn't have these things on my list. And that was really helpful for us to to figure out who we needed to hire because sometimes when you think about it, you can't conceptually figure out what are you going to offload. You could say, oh, it'd be great for someone to take, you know, my inquiries. Well, then when you start thinking about it, like, well, inquiries are only like two hours a week and that's not really worth like a hire. But if you really wrap your mind around all the things that you feel like you would love to take off your plate, you're able to build a pretty good job description and something that has the right expectations for that employee coming into it. Wow. Yes. Oh my gosh. Those were such great tips. And I never really considered thinking about your own management style, Mm -hmm. but as you were talking through it, I was like, yes, (sighs) yes. There are things that just make me insane, Mm -hmm. you know? And I'm like, I, I love that you said I want to be the cool boss, but no, I mean, (laughs) at the end of the day, it's your money, right? I mean, and it's expensive to hire people. And mm-hmm. most of the time we're doing that at a, a cost to us, of course, but like you said, time is so important. Mm-hmm. So I take a lower salary from my business so that I can hire more great staff. Yeah. But Lord knows I want you to do your job well if right. I'm going to do that. Yes. So that's a great tip is thinking about your own management style mm-hmm. and what kind of personalities you click well with. So good. All right, ladies, any final tips for anybody out there building their teams that are taking over the empire? Yeah, I think it's scary mm-hmm. and everybody's scared when they make that first hire, 
And I think the right hire is totally worth it. I mean, yeah. it makes all the difference in the world and it will become addictive. So you'll want to hire more people afterwards. Yeah. So <laughs> be prepared for that, but the income will be there too. So I think yeah. a lot of people wait till they're like, oh, I have X number of income. I'm going to hire. And I think that's the wrong way to do it. I think it's when you have a clear direction, you have a clear mm -hmm. job description and you have stuff that you can clearly offload to that person that's going to be productive that income will come. Yeah. Like, so don't wait until it's like mm -hmm. the perfect moment. It's never going to feel like that when you're ready, when you have enough to keep somebody busy for either part-time, full-time, whatever it is, do it. It'll pay you back in dividends. Oh, so good. Okay. So where can everybody find you, follow you guys? Where should they go? Um, so they can find us on Instagram at hustle and gather. We also have a podcast. We do wherever you get podcasts at hustle and gather with Courtney and Dana. And then they can also go to our website, um, hustle and gather.com. And that kind of, it links all the things. And we, uh, do, uh, venue consulting specifically. And we also do team training as well. Love it. I love it. You guys make sure you're going over and following them. And you guys tell Courtney and Dana how much you love this episode. Share it, tag them on social media, tag them on your Instagram, DM them, tell them how much you love the episode and what great tips you got from them. Because honestly, this was super helpful. And I know that some of our listeners out there are just like, okay, I'm doing it. I'm doing it right now. So you guys, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank Thanks you for, so having much us. for having us. It's been great.